The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. everyone welcome back to everybody's dead dave a red dwarf review podcast uh, hosted by myself adam martin and as always with my co-host philip hawkins that is me that is him and it's that time again we are joined by a special guest to review an episode of red dwarf with us we are joined by the lovely sophie isles how are we doing sophie hi everyone hi i'm good thank you how are you guys doing not too bad Ticking along, thirty odd episodes in, I think I've lost count by this point individually. We're but more we're... than way more than that because I've just Is released episode yesterday thirty three, I think, okay, and we are more. six about six episodes ahead of that recording. So way more along, way more along, <laughs> almost course... up to episode forty. Oh goodness me, episode forty. Well, I'm sure listeners who have listened to the show before know the premise. If you knew, hello. And uh, the premise is uh, me and Phil normally do it, and Phil is a seasoned Red Dwarf viewer. He's been watching for I won't say how long, so he'll tell me off for making him feel old. But he's he's <laughs> you seen always the show. Make me feel old, Adam. I I'm sorry, <laughs> Phil. I'm so I'm so sorry. But for, this is not Phil's first rodeo for me. This is my first time through Red Dwarf. Every episode is my first time viewing. And Sophie is our guest. I mean, you know, we've had guests who who are like Phil, they've seen it before, guests like me who've never seen it, some who maybe have seen a few episodes here and there. What's what's your story with Red Dwarf? Um, I knew of Red Dwarf because it's it does feel like a bit of a staple in terms of comedy. Like you would have heard the name somewhere, mm. especially like because I'm I'm a bit younger than Phil but not too much younger than Phil. So it's the kind of I think I would have been the right age to have watched it if I'd been into sci-fi as a kid. Mm. I think it means something I would have watched. But no, uh, I'd heard of it, never watched it until today. So uh, this this is going to be an interesting review. You never <laughs> watched it to today, but you have, of course, drawn it before today. I have yes. drawn it before yes. today. This is something we haven't mentioned yet, but uh, Sophie is, of course, the artist behind the lovely cartoons of both myself right. and Adam and the ships that adorn our artwork on our channel and on the intro so if you've not seen the youtube intro uh to this if you've only listened to it on apple podcasts or whatever go check out at least one of the of the episodes on youtube because we got a great intro which features sophie's brilliant artwork and is compiled with some other footage mixed together uh by george shard who's been also been a guest on the podcast so we're we're sort of two down on the people that helped us come up with our <laughs> intro stuff we've had you and george we just need uh, Stephen Kingsbury, who did the music now, and then we will have had all three people that. that helped us That's put together cool. the intro. Trifecta. Wonderful. Well, well, we should aim to do that in the future as well. But in the present, it's all about past, present and future in this one, we're on Series 7, Episode 3, Aurora Boris, <laughs> I think, or Arabaros, or... However you want to say it, that's the episode. I, I will certainly be saying it Ouroboros, because that sounds right <laughs> in my head. So if I'm wrong, oh well, tell me later. But that's how I'm saying it. Uh, that That is how Lister says it when he it knows is. the name. It is. So I'm going to say Ouroboros, because it we'll does sound... Well, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but you can do what you want. <laughs> yeah. But basically, listeners, you'll... 
Sophie and Phil will probably say it the correct way. I'll probably say variations of it in incorrect ways. So Don't count on that. Me. I will probably say it completely <laughs> wrong. Or no Boris was how I read it. And then I heard it in the episode and I was like, that's not how I pronounced it. I've got it all <laughs> <That's> wrong. different. <laughs> but the synopsis of this episode is as follows. Lister, Cat, and Crichton stumble upon a tear in the fabric of space that leads to another dimension. There they meet parallel versions of themselves and Lister's old girlfriend, Christine Kachansky. Dun dun dun! So that is the premise, and we kick things off. Um, as if this was your first episode, Sophie. I mean, you might not have uh, uh, realized, but I had noticed no title sequence. There usually is one. No um, title sequence. So I was get thrown one. This in. was apparently because the episode overran, so oh. they didn't have enough time on the broadcast episode for the title sequence. However, when they released it on VHS, they included it. So it's interesting that they haven't on... You're watching on Blu-ray, aren't you, I think? Yes, yeah. And and I'm watching on BritBox. I watched Um, on BritBox, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that they haven't kept it for that, but but they've kept it as broadcast. There you go. Thank, handy facts, Phil. You always have a good handy fact for moments like this. But we kick things off not on not in space. We're in the we're in the Egbeth Arms in Liverpool in the year twenty one fifty five. Now uh, this this is what I expect a future bar to look like. It's kind of slightly dystopian, but it it looks like a future bar. Now in a previous you won't know this of you, but in the previous episode, way back in. Series three, I want to say, because Crichton was definitely there. Yeah. Uh, and in an episode called Time Slides, they go back to when, back in time to when uh, Lister's a teenager and he's playing in a band at a pub. And the pub just looks like a 1970s, sort of 1980s pub in that. <laughs> it's like they've clearly just gone into one of the BBC stock sets and gone, yeah, yeah we'll borrow that. Uh, and they didn't have much budget. Uh, but this actually looks like a future bar. This is what I expect a bar or pub to look like in the future, not like it was the 1970s or 80s. See, it's funny you say that because it kind of reminded me, you know, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you go to like uh, bowling alleys or places like that, it kind of reminded me. It's probably because I grew up in Doncaster, so it's not very salubrious, but it just kind of gave me that vibe, that sort of like a bit grungy, a bit, a few like colored like you know lights here and there so yeah all those laser feel... tag games where they would yes. get out a whole like floor of a building in that kind of style and you'd have to run around like shooting each other with these lasers love that love that still what did you think then sophie being as this is like the, the very first few minutes were you were you thrown by oh we're not like in space on a ship called red dwarf <laughs> i didn't really know what to expect at all i mean, I, I knew i was in the middle of a series as well because mm. i knew it was episode three so i was like okay this could be related to something I've not seen yet. So I just kind of like, just just kept with it. I think it's really hard to explain because cause I've come into it so fresh. I was like, mm. I don't know who any of these characters are. Is the baby important? Who are we in Liverpool? Oh, we are in Liverpool. It makes sense. All the Scouse accents. Very good. Okay. <laughs> uh, 2159, was it? Like, okay. Somewhere just around there. Trying yeah. to get my, my brain into, okay, where are we supposed to be? I quite liked the little gimmick of it having graph pool written on the pool yes. table yeah. but you never see it obviously in action but my brain's like i don't know what gravity pool is like definitely I know. Wanna know. yeah um, they've, they've and mentioned i like it before i think but we've never seen it never seen it and i like the fact that you've got those um like uh, the bars on in front of the bar as yeah. it were so like yes 
we keep everyone safe, almost like a bookies, instead of it being a bar. And I was like, that makes sense. That's kind of a sci-fi thing, I would imagine, from a... I'm assuming a kind of dystopian future, because I don't really know the rest of the series or how it's played out. So, interesting, I suppose. Yeah, well, we haven't really seen much of... Lister's original time period at all Mm. other than that 1980s looking bar that we had before (laughs) so uh, you know there's no there's never been any indication that it's necessarily just a dystopian world that he comes from but it does look very dystopian here it looks like grimy or grungy maybe that's just the writers commentating on on liverpool in in which case uh uh, you know hopefully um people from liverpool aren't too offended i'd be curious if i still lived in liverpool i'd definitely ask because if that is the case i'd be like oh but they're but they're lovely and it's a lovely city go to liverpool people if you haven't been it's lovely um but we're not there for very long not in this episode we flash forward to well the present we've been following we're back in space and lister of course is doing a very lister thing sorting his nose hairs out in the only way that Lister could. Now, I related so much to this scene, I have to say. I mean, I have not used giant, like, tongs, admittedly, but let, you know, I the, the, the pain on his face when he was plucking those nose hairs and the sneeze afterwards, I yeah. do have to say I've been there. <laughs> and uh, and I relate to that. What were your impressions, Sophie? Again, like, the, the, I guess, introduction to this character. Like, he's, you know, what what, what, what did you think about good old Craig Charles? <laughs> I, I considered him to be quite a vain character, that he cared that much about his, his appearance. But again, because I didn't know quite where he sat. Like, I knew he was one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. So I knew he... Um, I didn't know how important he was in the crew, so whether his appearance mattered. Like, it's really weird what you think about when you're watching something for the first time with no information. I was like, okay, so he's obviously very vain, and I'm imagining kind of full of himself, but then is obviously getting older, which is why he's making all these comments about having to groom himself in that way, I suppose. Like, that's how... I imagine it. Um, and then obviously then with like Crichton coming in and being like, like I want to take care of all your clothes and things. I was like, oh, okay. So we've got C-3PO and then yes, we've got, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. then we've got uh, one of our, our leads. Okay. Or our lead, I assume is definitely the lead by the time we get to the end of that scene. So, okay. Makes sense now. Um, yeah. I love yeah, Crichton. It's interesting um, that you, that you picked up that he might be uh, vain in this because that I can see absolutely see why you'd get that from this scene, but it's almost the complete opposite of what he is usually. And so he's not vain at all in the sense that he's generally portrayed as quite a slob and like he's you know he'll he's the type of person that in one episode he's going out somewhere fancy and he realizes he's got holes in his trousers in the back of his trousers. So instead of getting a new pair of trousers, he spray paints his bum cheek that could be seen black so that it just doesn't notice. <laughs> so it's, it's very quite interesting that, that is from interesting, this, yeah. <laughs> you picked up that he might be vain. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess, obviously, as we go on, there is a reason why... I, I continue to think he was vain as well for reasons that continue within this episode. But I think it's because of the premise of the episode, which, again, mm. I think I'll, I'll get into when we get there. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought he was vain and quite funny. I, I did like the wood glue joke in the sense of, <laughs> oh my God, you're not going to, fl- oh, you're going to floss. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are, you are going to get it. St- oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it felt like very, as someone who watched a lot of men behaving badly at that time and only fools and horses, 
because I've not seen this sitcom before. I was like, oh, it's a space version of Men Behaving Badly. <laughs> I kind of dig it. I, I, <laughs> almost. Not quite, obviously, but that kind of, that sense of a, a fun sci-fi sitcom, which I've never seen before, actually. Like, so I found that really charming. Um, yeah, as... that's a good comparison, actually. I hadn't thought of that before, but now you think, especially like, back when Rimmer was there, which we'll get into in a minute, but uh, that that kind of dynamic actually t- does feel a little bit like uh, Men Behaving Badly in a way. Was was Men Behaving Badly that show, uh, was it that show that I've, I've, I've heard of it and I've seen a few clips, but was it was it quite thingy? Was it quite like, co- not controversial, but was it quite raunchy in its day, if that makes sense? Or like quite out there in its day? I can't remember, because I was maybe very young. Of a different yeah. show from the I era. was quite young as well. It was Martin Clunes mm. and, and Neil... What's his last name? I've forgotten his last name. Neil or somebody or other. Yeah. Um, I might be thinking of a different show from the... There was just one, like, 90s comedy that yeah. I've read is was, like, very, like, out there. And people are like, oh, goodness me, like, very controversial. But maybe it's not men behaving badly. Maybe it's something else. Back to Red Dwarf, though. One character who certainly is vain is the cat who <laughs> comes swinging in. Um, what are your thoughts on the cat, Sophie? And- well, I knew of the cat because of... Um, oh, Donnie... Donnie... Danny, Danny John Jules. That's it. Uh, obviously, being on Strictly not long ago. Um, mm. Obviously, he's he's a household name anyway. But like, mm. the, like he's the cat, and I was like, <laughs> what? And then like yeah. meeting him, I was like, is he a vampire? Like <laughs> g- genuinely, it's really like hard to know if you don't know. Like, I don't ha- worry, after, you're not the first. You're not the first person. After to I say watched the episode, I obviously did some reading up on the characters, but I wanted to go in blind because I thought yeah. that'd be more in- entertaining. But I was like, why has this guy got fangs? <laughs> like, it's interesting. You're not the first person, as as Adam just said. I think everybody that we've had on that has never seen a single episode of Red Dwarf before, their first thought with the cat is that's a vampire because of the fang- fangs. Because of fangs, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, compared to when when you very when you very first meet him in series one, the vainness I'd argue now is a lot more toned down. Like I think in the first few seasons, we've we've com- not complained, criticised this before. The first few seasons, he wasn't really a main part of like the team, if you like. He was just mm. sort of like the the side funny character who'd pop in, say a funny one liner, act really vain and out there, and do a few twirls. He never liked twirls anymore. He doesn't do like the. Wah! he did like a james brown yell and stuff but so he's much more part of the team now which i personally quite like he feels like integrated with it all but yeah i think the vein aspects have been a lot they've they've been played down as the series as do you miss the twirls adam i i I, I do miss the twirls that was a very fun uh wow impression (laughs) honestly just if you have to go back just just type in like cat like twirls and you'll see oh they were glorious i did love those but also go and check out the um the <laughs> tongue-tied song which which was a like a pre-title sequence at the beginning of one episode which is basically a full-on musical number with danny john jules singing and dancing yes. check it out it's great yeah and it got in the charts number 17 so <laughs> there you go fun fact um but as they're in the cockpit, they see this tear in space. Uh, well, the cockpit, or... interestingly, for, for a very brief moment when they first get into the cockpit, I I found myself going, oh, I wonder what Rimmer's doing. He must be out back. And yeah, for a very brief yeah. moment, because Rimmer, um, played by Chris Barry, had been a main character up until last episode, and he departed <laughs> the series last episode. And for a brief moment, 
I forgot where that he'd left, and then I remembered, and then I was sad. Yeah, I was a bit sad seeing that empty chair. So <laughs> I, 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 I've heard of Rimmer because I, I think yeah. I've heard the name come up with fans who've mentioned Red Dwarf. So I knew he was a character, but then obviously was like, I've not met this character this mm. episode because yeah. I was kind of because like, I know um, we do get the flashback with him. Yes, yeah. but I didn't. I, again, I had no context. So everyone yeah. watching that would have been like, it's River! It's River! And I was just like, who is this guy? Who is this man? <laughs> yeah. Why is he acting like a bit of a git? So. Yeah. <laughs> he had literally left the previous episode as well. So um, it was all fresh, fresh for us. Yeah, all fresh. But they don't it's dwell nice on that, it. Yeah, yeah. It, like, yeah, he does appear in a flashback later and it's nice we get to see him again. Yeah. Absolutely. And after after we, we embrace the sadness of the empty chair, they head straight towards this tear in space. Um and they realise, oh, there's a they've gone through it, they've made it through, but there's a disturbance in the engineering deck. And there they find I believe they call it a hyperway, is what they call like the little portal that they step through. There was a lot of jargon flying about, so I was like, yeah. right, what are they saying? What's the what's this called? They call it so, the link way as well, don't they? The link point? way. Yes, they do. So, they, yeah. they, they, like... make, they change it to whatever they want it to be. <laughs> what One thing... Uh, well, it sort of happens in this episode, and we'll get... Basically, Sophie, if you decide to watch any more Red Dwarf, um, continuity as we know it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> They'll change things, and you'll be like, wait, hang on, and then... But the, sh- the show doesn't care. Like, the show literally is like, we're just going to do this now, and, like, the best option we found is just to go, okay, whatever, just go for it it's fine but but then sometimes it will call back to a really obscure moment from like two seasons back and you're like oh they remembered that but they, yeah but they don't but remember the big life-changing thing. decision that happened like yes. last episode they'll move straight on but in the uh hyper or link way in the in the nice blue portal they bump into uh well they go into a parallel dimension where they bump into themselves and i've got to say i don't know what you two think the CG, considering this was in 1997 on a BBC budget, I thought wasn't too bad. Or like whatever effects they were using for the for like the tunnel. I mean, I didn't expect much from it to begin with. So I haven't seen, comparatively, I've not seen what the effects were like before. So that's quite hard mm. for me to judge. But I mean, I knew what they were like. For me, CG is, is it believable within the context of what's being made? Mm. And considering it's a sci-fi comedy i'm not expecting it to look very good if that makes sense so (laughs) like i was like oh i know what this is i understand the context yeah they almost fell into no space that looks Mm -hmm. like a crack that they've almost fallen into oh oh look they've been shot at you know like if i understand what's going on that's the most important part for me for cg um Mm -hmm. i actually sometimes prefer shoddier cg as long as I understand what's going on, compared to really flashy CG, that's very confusing. Because that, <laughs> yeah, that also point. happens yeah. That's a lot. Valid, yeah. yeah, I hate I hate like really shiny over the top CG. What's an example? Can you think of an example of, of that where something is really good CG but it's just so confusing? Off the top of my head, no. I'll have to get back to you on it. But I'm sure I'm sure I've seen trailers for films. I've just gone now. That is a film that thinks that it's exciting. <laughs> but it's not you know yeah. de- i think yeah. like is it experian there's a film called experian that looked really like shiny and wonderful and elegant was or that valerian with... valerian 
Oh, Valeria. Yeah, yeah. Which I've not seen. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure... I'm really sorry, everyone who worked on it. I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> but the trailer, for me, was like, oh, hey, is this what people think sci-fi is? <laughs> like, people who don't know what's... That's how it felt. It was a bit like, yeah. oh, yeah. okay. You know what? I think I've thought of an example. Uh, the Terminator movies and the... the transformations of all of the things which look brilliant but in some in not all the time but sometimes just look like they they confuse the scene because like especially when every michael bay is doing everything at once in explosions going off and all sorts of things you can't really tell what's happening with the machines at the time we on about Terminator, or do you mean Transformers? What did I say? You, you said, said Terminator. Terminator. That, I said Terminator. I sort of went like, no, even I, I, mean I saw Adam and I went, Terminator I meant, isn't that bad. I meant Transformers. I meant Transformers. Transformers. I agree with you, Transformers. I think it yes, can certainly yeah. do that, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, it's really flashy, but what's happening? I think my example for that would be um, James Cameron's Avatar, which yeah. I remember at the time really, because, you know, they hyped it up. Oh, it's all this new technology and it's going to be, this immersive and you know at the what was it 2009 i was like i was like yeah for sure it, it looks it looks nice but i just remember being so disappointed that for me at least i'm sure it's got its fans out there the story for me just didn't really connect because so much of like the focus was like look look we've made look we've made this world look at it it's all siege look at it look at do you know what i mean that mm. was my example it was just a yeah. bit a bit mm. lacking for me but yeah but like you say yeah we get this as a tunnel the no space effect i quite liked um, and they meet themselves, which uh, would you be surprised, Sophie? This is not the first time this has happened in this show. I, I've lost count as how many times it has been, Phil. Yeah, different alternate universes, future versions of themselves, past versions of themselves. They're always meeting themselves. Cool. Gives the actors a good challenge. But, yeah. <laughs> but they learn in, in this other uh, reality that Lister did in fact die and become a hologram. He didn't get put in stasis which is how our lister was able to survive in red dwarf when everyone else died and um he explains why and we this is where we get the flashback of course where we see a bit of chris barry as rimmer and we also get uh the reintroduction of christine kachansky who is played by a different actor to who's appeared before this is chloe annette i believe her name is and um just a brief uh <laughs> There's nothing against Chloe's performance. I, it might be because I've, I've gone in chronological. I personally preferred uh, the first actor who played Kachansky, both in like characterization and what they were going for. Um, yeah, and suddenly she's not Scottish anymore. And not Scottish. No Scottish <laughs> accent. She was Scottish before, and now she's not Scottish. Oh, I love, no. sc- I love Scottish accents. So I'd kill to see a Scottish, a- a Scottish Yeah, well, if you go and watch series one and two, there's lots of flashbacks to before the accident that wipes out the Red Dwarf crew, where he's interacting with the original Kachansky, yeah. And, and, and yeah, she's Scottish there, and yeah. suddenly not very Scottish anymore. Ha- suddenly a very RP accent. Yeah, mm. yeah. If you like Scottish, it's it's not like a subtle Scottish. It's a very it's very Scottish, and it's nice. like, oh yes, give give me more more regional accents. Yes, yes, yes please. Um, I was but- going to ask you, Adam, how you how you felt the change. I mean, this is the first episode. This is not like as we know from the end of the episode. She's sticking with this crew for a bit. Yes. We're going to see more of her, so your opinions mm-hmm. might change. But just based on this episode, currently not a fan or just uh, not as much as... It's not that I'm not a fan. I mean, I think the, the character it, it is still a character. I'm not saying she's one note or anything, but I, I don't know. I just, for, from what we've seen so far, I just preferred the characterization of Kachansky seemed a bit deeper than it was this time around. But I'm also 
acknowledging this is a Kachansky from a parallel universe, so she's not necessarily going to be like the Kachansky we saw. So, no, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, so this whole, again, Sophie, for you then, this whole flashback scene, was this your chance to be like, right, yes, okay, they're saying this, so, and then that happened. Was that what it was like? Or? Flashback was really odd. I didn't really know what was going on. Because I didn't, I, because I, they didn't, they just said, oh, I'm in stasis. And my head was like, what, were you asleep? Like, because I, I, I had no context. Because yes, I didn't yeah. watch mm. anything else. So it, I, when I, because I watched it twice today, I watched it this morning and made notes and I watched it this evening with dinner. And because I'd actually read up on what happened to Lister, because that's all I wanted to know was, okay, I want to have that context. Yeah. Without the context, I was like, was he on holiday? <laughs> oh, he wasn't. Oh, okay. So he went AWOL. Okay. Then he has a cat. Okay. Um, this guy seems funny. I hope he, because I really liked the introduction of Rimmer in that way, because I didn't know who Rimmer was. So mm. it was just like, this guy just teasing him about his type of woman was quite funny. And I was like, oh, I like him. And then I was like, oh, that's the only time we get to see him. I was like, oh, that's really annoying. Um, and then, like, the whole scene with the cat in the microwave, genuinely, my brain just went, excuse me, not realising <laughs> that had anything to do with cat. Because yeah. why would I? Yeah. Um, it was, it's, it's interesting how a, coming into a series with no background, like, you realise how clueless you actually are and how sure. you actually should watch stuff from the beginning. That's true, yeah. Because, I mean, I watched... I started watching Red Dwarf when I was about seven, and it was around about the time series six was on the air. And so I also would have come in with no context of what was going on, but I can't remember like if that confused me. Like I didn't know when I started watching it that Dave was had been in suspended animation for three million years uh, or anything like that. I must have just picked that up gradually from watching episodes, I guess. But I didn't start that way. But this must be a particular with all the flashbacks and stuff. This must be a particularly confusing episode to come in not mm. knowing anything. Oh yeah. yeah, it was it was particularly frustrating a bit, but at the same time, it was still really fun because my brain was like trying to fill in the gaps myself. I was like, okay, so I, I I kind of had a vague understanding that something had happened to Lister that shouldn't have happened or yeah. something like that because of that's how there's two alternate versions, um, and yeah. that in one version she survived, but I didn't quite realize that he was the last one. That was my my think. That was my brain was not understanding that he is the last human until I read he was the last human, which then made sense why she was the last woman who might want children. I was like, if she didn't want, if she wants children, surely there's other other people because my brain <laughs> didn't realize there wasn't any yeah. other people. I was like, wait, are you what? Like, if you don't don't if you don't like him, you don't have to ask him for his sperm. Like, jeez, because I I had no context for why that would be a thing, but. Obviously, watching it the second time around, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now and why that scene is a lot funnier. <laughs> I suppose as well, though, even at the... in the Because, again, this was 97. So even, you know, back then, it's still, I'd argue, trading on the fact that it hopes that most people who are watching have, you know, it have watched before, I think. Mm. You know, if mm. I, I think if anyone had watched that on broadcast uh, like like you've done today they'd be like wait what what what's yeah. going on mm. and with you know early days of the internet and stuff and vhs you know people might not have had the full content so I, in a way i think it's quite a bold thing to do to tell us well part of a story mm. that relays so heavily on stuff that was established in terms of broadcast dates nine years ago so <laughs> that's a yeah. big it's a big leap because it was what 97 wasn't it 
so yeah uh, this episode yeah this was so, 97. Yeah, obviously 97 you didn't really have sky you didn't have any yeah. of the channels so likelihood is certain types of fans were going to be committed to watching this all the way through and would have watched so like I don't know. That's like Doctor Who fans, right? Like they all yeah, tune in yeah. and watch it all the time, and they would have, you know, got together and watched the VHSs so they were available. So yes. likelihood is they were appealing to their audiences already. So especially with the way that TV worked then compared to now, mm. like I so I I found it on Ritbox and watched it. Watch it whenever mm. I wanted. I went on Wikipedia and found the write up. You know, so exactly, easy yeah. for me. Where in you know when I was seven. I think Sky was barely becoming a thing. Yeah. I remember yeah. The Simpsons very vaguely. Yeah, but well, that was Sky even if a... Sky had started in the late 80s, but I don't think it caught on in homes. And was, I mean, yeah. it was quite very yeah, expensive initially. It was. Um, and so it didn't catch on quite widespreadly yeah. until the sort of Sky Digital started, yeah. which was yeah. sort of the late 90s, I think. I mean, mm. we didn't get, I, didn't, I don't think we had Sky until as late as like 2008, 2009. So, you know, um, only then was it seen as like a viable thing to to do. So I think back yeah. then, like the late night, the only people I knew who had Sky were either, pe- not their fam- people's wealthy uncles, if you, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> you know, the people who like, they always had to have like the new technology. So it's mm. like, oh yeah, I bought a satellite dish. Don't really know what it does, but I bought one. Or like if you went on holiday and sometimes where you'd yes. stay, you'd have a Skybox. But um, aside from that, yeah, mm. it was uh, quite elusive. So I wonder what? if that obviously added a bit to like not having to worry so much about their their audiences were going to tune in because I think... Am I correct in saying that there was like a big hiatus between six and seven? Yeah, it was yes. I yeah, I so have, uh, Phil lamented, experienced it. I experienced this because I, I as I said earlier, I got into it. Um, uh, I mean, the people listeners to this podcast have heard me talk about this more times than they probably they're probably fed up of me saying Sorry. this now. But I I li- I got into it around series six, and so I just got into it. Series six ended on a cliffhanger. And then I had to wait three years till the next episode. <laughs> and I was just like, I've just got into this show. I, yeah. I want to find out what happens So with, with something like that, obviously people who are invested and have watched one to six are definitely going to tune in for seven. And they're mm. going to be the audience that they're going to want to pull back in more than anything. Like the public, obviously, if it's on, it's on. But I assume yeah. it would have had, I mean, I, as far as I'm aware, it had good enough acclaim for it to bring in people to watch it anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, yeah, it's funny looking at all the <laughs> all the potentials and what is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, In that flashback, um, I was going to point out one. Lo- I love the line uh, from Rimmer when he's because Lister's lamenting about the fact that he's been dumped by Kachansky, and uh, Rimmer goes something along the lines of, "Your type isn't Kachansky; it's somebody called Tiffany." <laughs> yes. Uh, somebody who says something instead of something. <laughs> And and various other things that he says about like this crotchless panties, I think he says. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> so that was one. I couldn't like, help, especially okay. with that some think, um, <laughs> something that he was uh, alluding to the infamous Essex girl sort of stereotype that uh, as an Essex, as someone from Essex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the end of that little segment where he says like some she who laughs like she's uh, an. A, a pained moose tied to a cement mixer or something like that and i was like my god you're an interesting guy i would like to meet you again (laughs) he he likes his little uh 
when when he said that in my head, I was imagining um, that character from Only Fools and Horses. Boise, yeah. Boise's wife, because um, she laughs a bit like that, doesn't she? <laughs> there's there's a few like stereotype jokes. Like, there's one earlier I forgot to mention when he's doing the nose hairs and they're mm. saying, "Oh, you know." women don't get nose hairs and then was it apart from women who work in oxfam shocks and i was like now now i was like come on I, yeah. there's I, I, you know it was 97 whatever but i was like come on guys we couldn't have thought of a <laughs> of a better joke there i think what's probably happened there and it is unfortunate to say is that stereotypically the people watching this show are probably young men uh it's yes. like the, the whole seat. Like for me, like watching the sequence where Chikansky and Lister are talking in the flashback, and he's like, "Oh, you know, we. Sp- I don't want to spend all our time in bed." And she's something like, "Yeah, but I don't want to spend all my time in bed having takeaways and fantastic sex." And I was just like, <laughs> "This was written by men for men. <laughs> this is not written for me." Uh, you know, like you could, like it had that men behaving badly vibe where it was mm. kind of like a this woman is designed. For women, for men to lust over, uh, that's how yeah. it felt. But I, I, I still found it entertaining. But even so, I had to bear in mind that yeah, this was written in the nineties. This couldn't be written anymore without lots of complaints. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that that is true. But I do like the fact that later on, Kachansky does kind of push back against that attitude a little bit oh, himself yeah. in yeah. the script. So it's it's like they are aware of that. They are aware of the of what they're leaning into in their characters, mm. and they're not. They've now got a character who can push back against it, which mm. is is quite good, I think. And uh, on pushing back, uh, the when they're in this time tunnel after we've had this uh, time tunnel, I'm in Doctor Who mode there. <laughs> when they're in the linkway, the spa- that's it. Thank you, Sophie. The linkway. I need to write this terminology down. When they're in the linkway after they've finished uh, reminiscing about this flashback, uh, the. The Gelf attack. Now, the Gelf are a race who've popped up once or twice before. And, well, in those episodes, they were a bit more integral. Here, they just sort of seem to be used for, oh, it's a name, you know, to the view. It's a name you've heard, but that's it. Do you know what I mean? They're not really focused on here, which I thought was an odd choice. But it does kind of carry on the plot from that last Gelf episode, though. Because in. What, where they want revenge? Yeah, because in a previous episode, you may have picked up from this. Dave Lister was forced to marry one of these uh, sort of creatures and in order to exchange for a part they needed for the ship and then he ran away. So they're kind of chasing him for that to get just, to reunite just... with his bride. I did. I... Typical... <laughs> Sorry, go on. I, was, yeah, I did enjoy the pictures like, oh no, it's the missus. And I was like, wait, what? And this is this picture of like this kind of caveman-esque creature. Um, and I was just like, I have no context for this, but okay. Sure. <laughs> just roll with it, yeah. I just love how they, they knew they were there. Uh, in typical Red Dwarf fashion, you know, the, 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 the plot and continuity happens for itself. And now I've just thought about that picture. Basically, the the Gelf, when we met them last series or whenever it was, um, if you've ever seen uh, the Wookiee outfits from the Star Wars Holiday Special, um, I'd say that with maybe less fur. But it, I don't know, now, now I'm thinking about it, it gives me that kind of... The, the, the vibe that only the Star Wars Holiday Special has, and if people haven't seen it, I would recommend it, but um, I, I don't think I will. <laughs> so, but that's your context for that. Um, and the, the Linkway breaks, and Kachansky falls, and they rescue her in quite a comical fashion, but she ends up on their side. So And they rescue her with his uh, stuck-to-his-teeth floss, which is uh, brilliant. <laughs> 
<laughs> Typical red dwarf comedy. He's got teeth of steel. The fact his teeth yeah, are ripped out I, as well. It's gotta hurt. Gotta hurt. Gotta hurt. Um, when they're in the medical bay, um, I just uh, but sorry. Before go we on. get to that, I, I we haven't mentioned the fact that he stood there facing the the woman he lost uh, that he he still fancies in not only with floss hanging out of his mouth, but in, in a fluffy pink dressing gown <laughs> with cotton wool in his ears and just generally looking a mess. Is this what you were alluding to earlier uh, when you said that the other events, you know, because basically he wants to impress Kachansky. So that that's mm. why he's kind of maybe comes across as a bit more vain in this episode than in other episodes, because he actually does yeah. care in this episode <laughs> of what he looks like because he wants to impress her. This is what I was thinking. That's why I was like, oh, maybe he is vain. But obviously, if you give me more context of he's not usually like that at all, that's quite interesting that suddenly he's now vain because there's a pretty lady involved or someone he does obviously care about or loved before. Um, so it, it, it does interest me because this whole episode feels like, especially up to that point, he's like, this is bad. But if he wasn't vain, I would expect the opposite of being like, well, she'd like me anyway. You know, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because his counterpart is very, you know, smartly dressed. Yeah. He speaks well and, you know, mm. someone that uh, has his has his shit together by the looks of it. Yeah. He does. Whereas our Lister, sadly, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit... I talk... The other... The counterparts as well, I was going to mention, because we kind of get a little bit from counterpart Crichton, who's gold rather than the black or silver or whatever... <laughs> color Crichton is this season um and we there's the cat there as well who just stands there the alternative cat doesn't do anything and yeah. this is a reoccurring thing with cat when there's something that we get something from each of the crew there was like when, when in season six they all came out of stasis and we got a bit of uh lister kind of adjusting to coming out of stasis we got a bit of how the story of Rimmer being rebooted. He's a holog- He was a hologram, by the way. Um, and But we don't get anything from Kat. He just appears. We never get that story. And that seems to happen every time there's something where we get, oh, this is this bit of the story for this member of the crew. This is this bit of the story for this member of the crew. Oh, yeah, and Kat's just there. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame, isn't it? It, it, it makes you wonder whether they actively didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, think to like write something for that moment or if they just couldn't. I'd like to think they couldn't. That it wasn't. They couldn't think of anything. But yeah, it is a shame that this keeps popping up. I just would like to have seen what alternate cat was like if he was. Yeah, different, a bit but... more of a personality. But alas, we'll, we'll ne- unless they pop up again, we'll never know. Um, but in the medical bay, when Kachansky wakes up, there's this bit which I must admit I'm a bit mixed on because you know she wakes up, sees Lister, and mistakes him for her Lister, and then she starts to kiss him. And at first, Lister does the the right thing by trying to be like, "Oh, I think you're mistaken," but and then it you know descends into he's like, "Oh, all right, I'll I'll kiss you." And she even says when she realizes it's either her or oh no, it is her. Says it not Crichton. Oh, like you were trying, so you take advantage of of like kissing me or something along those lines. And again, I was like, I was, I mean, the whole thing, I was. I don't know if uncomfortable is the word, but just a bit like, eee, do you know what I mean? Like, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the nicest. I don't know what you two thought of that whole scene. Well, I didn't mind it being in the episode. I don't, th- because I think the episode is quite clear that it's, it, it's not okay. 
and especially this is what I was talking about with her pushing back. This is one of those moments where, you know, she says, you know, I can't believe you took advantage uh, at that moment, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I don't I don't begrudge it being in the episode because I think the episode is clear and the writing is clear that it's wrong. It's just a, it's a character flaw in Lister. Hmm. I don't know. What, what do you think, Sophie? Uh, I think I agree with you in that sense, because because the thing is, she doesn't let him speak yeah so again you've got that thing of he tries to tell her oh wait i'm not so his immediate reaction at first is to be like i'm not him and she tells him to shush she's like well okay so that's wrong on his part but also wrong on hers so like there is a i am also slightly conflicted on it because you know that's that's not something you really want to show and if i remember rightly there is a laughter track on it so it is perceived to be funny which I think is the problem. If there yeah. wasn't a laugh track in that moment, then maybe it wouldn't be such an awkward moment. But like, obviously the laugh track is used to be like, this is where you're supposed to find it funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. mm, that's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, not and then obviously she does push back and then she tells him off and he's like, well, fine, fine, fine. So, you know, at least he doesn't like continually pursue it. If yeah. he was continually pursuing her throughout the episode in a really weird creepy way and there was still a after track i would feel differently about it but yeah. he doesn't seem to be like that from my memory anyway yeah um, for the rest of the episode that's like the only time that really happens yeah yeah um and it's actually from then on it's more about how Crichton feels about her more than how he feels about <laughs> her which i loved so yeah so yeah which is a lot more funny which uh, we'll get to in a in just a second we get the whole thing in uh, with the the gelf attacking again and where we see the picture and Crichton speaking Gelf, which is quite hilarious because Robert Llewellyn turns from naught to a hundred, from normal speaking to uh, well, I don't even, I can't just phlegm, isn't it? In his book, pretty much. I feel very... through his throat after performing that. You know, he's got to have oh, a really no. sore throat after <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's amazing. He's so good. He's he's one of the well, he's just a funny actor, isn't he, Robert Llewellyn? We've said this before. He's great, absolutely great as Crichton. Um, they outrun them. They, with Kachansky's help, they trick the Gelth into crashing onto this icy planet. And more I think good this model was, shots here. Yes, I'm so glad it was models because with this series, when it well, when we started with it, Sophie, this was like the first one where they started using CGI. They'd made that transition from ex- being exclusively model shots to okay, maybe we'll do a few CG for like you know space sequences and stuff. But yeah, I am so glad that we still get some great model work like this because when it works, oh my god, it really works. It worked so. really well. I was yeah. impressed with the models. I was just like, yeah, this is good <laughs> sci-fi. <Yeah>. Woo! <laughs> Big and part fi- of good sci-fi, good model shots. It was cool though, because obviously, because I, I drew the spaceships, I recognised the Starbug. They're in the Starbug, mm, right? Yes, yeah, At this yeah, point. Yeah. And I was just like, yes, I recognise the ship. I knew which one was which. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which was uh, really sad of me to be like, yeah. One thing I forgot to mention earlier talking about the ships is that um, we in the flashback, we saw Red Dwarf for the first time since end of season five because they've lost Red Dwarf by this point. That's part Ooh. of the plot. They've, they've literally lost the big ship and they're only on this <laughs> tiny small ship with not very many supplies. And so I was like, oh, it's Red Dwarf. I haven't seen that, that in like two years, two seasons or something. Yeah, nice little throwback. Um, once they've once they've ditched him, they're like, all right, we'll have a bit of a, a cool down. And we get this 
lovely scene with um, Crichton and Lister. So what what did we all what did we all think of this? Sophie, we'll it's start my favourite scene in the episode. <laughs> um, I love um, Crichton so much. <laughs> so you're lying. So yeah. now it's like his voice goes up really high. Um, yeah. And I, I love yes. the uh, the way of describing a naked woman with her in and outy bits. <laughs> I was just like, because I, I have no context for this character or Lister, really, apart from this episode. So I'm just like, Crichton in love with you? Crichton's <laughs> in love with you. This is great. LGBT represent. It's great. <laughs> I was like, that's such a cool concept. <laughs> um, obviously, I know it's played for laughs in the episode more than yeah. anything else, but I did love that. So she walked in here now and, and took all her clothes off and said, Ooh, make love to me, you horny dude. And I said, Oh, perhaps you'd prefer to fold some sheets with me instead, sir. What could you do? You can see Lester going like, what, what kind of sheets? I was just like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's really, you know, I like it. the way the list is trying to make it believable that he's really like considering it and like, oh yeah, well, so what kind of sheets are they? And um, how would, would with the we, pattern? Or? With the pattern? And would we fold them? How would we fold them? And could I fold them this way? Oh yeah, well, of course I would do the sheets with you, obviously, yeah. and not have sex with her. And that yeah. brilliant beat of, you're lying! <laughs> yeah. It's the change in his face and his voice. And I love it. Obviously, this is a sci-fi sitcom, but I just, it was like the whole thing was almost amped up in that traditional sitcom. We're having a sitcom argument and it's all a bit, it's all a bit heightened and a bit crazy and a bit believable in a weird way, isn't it? You know, sitcom arguments, I think, are very Mm. like that in a lot of them where it's like, I can't believe you do this. And it's like, oh no, honey, I wouldn't do this. No, you're lying. I don't know. It, it, that made me laugh even harder because it made me think of all those other sitcoms where you see arguments like that. And it's it's exactly the same, but with the Red Dwarf twist, which makes it even funnier. So, yeah. Absolutely. Just, and there's a nice, yeah. uh, another continuity reference here because um, Crichton says, I, I'm going to end up on my own, just like on the Nova 5. And Nova, the Nova 5 was the ship they found him on. Because he didn't originally come with Red Dwarf, he they found him in uh, the beginning of uh, season two, and uh, he it was on a ship and his crew had died. Um, and then there's a line in this that then Dave says, "You killed the crew, Crichton, uh, even if it was by accident." And that in, that's not a reference to something we'd known from the TV series. That's a reference yes. to something from the novels. Because um, they're, they're novels that me and Adam are reading at the moment. Because we're going to review those at some point. That in that we discover that Crichton accidentally cleaned the inside of the machinery, which then caused uh, some malfunction, which then crashed the ship he was on and killed all of his crew. So it's his fault they all died. Uh, and so I just like the fact that they that's like I think it's the one time, one and only time they reference something from the novels. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Neat little bit there. Um, and. We we establish in the scene as well that obviously Crichton is not a fan of this version of Kachansky, and we have a little scene with the pair of them at the at like the little laptops, not really pressing the keys, but you know, well, sci-fi sitcom, we'll let it slide. Um, what did you both think about like this little confrontation then? Because Kachansky knows. I mean, she says it straight away, doesn't she? She's like, "You don't like me, do you?" Yeah, it was good, and there was you get you start to see a bit of Kachansky's character here as well because there's the there's a little bit of neediness and needing to be liked as well because she's like, no, why won't you? Why don't you like me? Basically about it, um, 
and she can't quite handle the fact that Crichton doesn't like her and why. But then as soon as he like says it, she's like, what? That's that's a stupid reason. What did you think, Sophie? This little Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was a nice little scene. Um, I think I do I think about how um, just women are written in the 90s generally. It's, it's fascinating of, of, you know, it's 2021. This was written a long time ago, <laughs> made a long time ago. And I, I have to admit, I think part of me was like, are they trying to show a strong woman but keep her feminine? Or are they, like, because it is written mm. by two men, as far as I know, as well. Yes, yeah. Four men with this very hot woman now on the ship who's supposed to be a cell. And I'm like, I wonder, again, my, most of her scenes, she comes across very sexy. Even when she's like, they're playing down her femininity, there's a like a case of, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because of my own experiences that I'm kind of sat there going, I feel like that line was written in just to make her seem weaker in that scene. That's a good that makes sense. I, I don't considered actually, but yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, that I can see that. I think it's a really like it's a good like line to have in there, but I also feel like it felt a little bit out of character from what we'd already seen of her. So like, yeah, you know, her push, was she was pushing take... back so much of everyone else. So because mm. I think to me it felt uh, when I was watching it, it felt like it was humanizing her slightly from because I think up to this point she'd been kind of putting on a, a shirt like a, a front because you know she's being very guarded against these people that she doesn't really know who are who look like people she knows but aren't the people she knows and therefore she she's been like a bit a bit defensive quite naturally and so this was the first moment that I felt she'd been kind of slightly humanized but I completely get what you're saying as well that that the, the, the potential problematic nature of that exact line mm. well i think it'd be interesting if like because if it was the case of oh hey these people look like my friends and they're not my friends that would have been a much more interesting way of playing that scene of being mm. like oh no me and the other Crichton, we get on really well and he'd be like no or whatever and you could play it off that way and he'd be like oh you know that would be a much more humanizing way of playing that scene out um but again we can't imagine what was in their minds however many yeah. 20 mm. odd years ago it's it's hard to know what really the aim of that that segment is apart from making sure that she knows that he doesn't like her that's the whole yeah. point of the scene so i guess just her being like oh you don't like me for me personally felt like it was quite a unnecessary line like i feel like all the other scenes beforehand like how well she dealt with stuff felt like she should have just been like, well, if you don't like me, that's fine. Even yeah, if they showed yeah. it better that she was hurt by it, I don't feel like it was something that she would say. Mm, if that yeah. makes sense. Almost like, like she shouldn't need to be like, she shouldn't hinge on the fact that Crichton doesn't like her and the way mm. she the way she was portrayed to in the episode. Mm. Yeah. Because I think it could have been really interesting <laughs> if you'd played it and said that she looked hurt instead of actually having to say, you don't like me. Uh, like, why don't you like me? It does sound like something that, you know, like, um, what they do in, like, sitcoms where, like, oh, you didn't text me back. It <laughs> makes the girl feel more needy and needing them more, where she doesn't come across like that. 
yeah for most for sure. of the rest of the episode no yeah. and in fact she she kind of earlier on in the episode when they are escaping the gulf and she she's like the one that is there is the competent one and she's yeah, yeah. reeling off all these kind of like follow these coordinates and all this techno yeah. and everyone else is like we don't know what you're talking about because we <laughs> are not very oh, good at we're this. incompetent yeah <laughs> So yeah, so I feel like that. I think that was more of a, a suggestion somewhere of, oh no, she should be more needy because that's what our, the men watching would probably enjoy more. That the because I think, and again, this is just a thought that I had is that men watching the show at that point and like the the fan base being predominantly male see themselves in people like Dave and Rema, I'd assume. So they want the sexy attractive sci-fi woman to be interested in them and for her to be probably likely to be able to you know bend to to that i mean she's the only woman left a lot like in the world so i'm assuming that's also a big part of it is like you know she's the only woman left she's and she's she that means that you know and in this case lister's the only man left so he's the only one that she can be with anyway which yeah. is again, it, as a woman watching, really interesting to think about while watching this very random stuff. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, it's a bit deep, but you know, but I, it makes you think about all those things about how, th- what this show was designed for back then, mm. if that makes sense. But like how Doctor Who have usually only female companions because they know that, you know all the guys want to be the doctor because they want to be with the girl too. You know, that kind of, that mentality, I think, was probably there a bit. They have a brief bit of respite, the two of them, when they realise that the Linkway, they found it. So <laughs> they share a high five because she wants to go home and he's like, I've got rid of her. Um, they have is, a this little... where the ca- is this the scene where the cat comes in as well? Because the cat I I, it's, has these it's little in moments. the start of that scene, yeah. yeah. Uh, the cat seems to be, his main purpose in this episode seems to be, he seems to kind of want to impress her as well. He keeps on coming in, he keeps on calling her baby and uh, <laughs> coming in and like telling her he's done something like so that she'll be impressed or something which i would argue is very much cat's character that oh, sort yeah. of vein you know hey i'm i'm impressive i'm confident i'm 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 all that sort of thing um after they 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 have you know they have a few drinks i think this is the scene where Crichton does like the the various walks isn't it like he yes. demonstrates the walks <laughs> yeah. yeah her walk because he criticizes her walk and Robert then Lewis. and then of course he does his normal walk um yes. or it's not it's not really his normal walk but it, it it doesn't usually walk like that all over the place but it it's meant to be his normal walk here like he's not putting it on and she criticizes that and he's like oh no it, it, well, at least it's not like this and then he does this hip wiggle thing which again i'm not yeah. really sure which she i did don't either. think she really no. does no i was gonna say it doesn't really happen so <laughs> again questions could be asked there you know that's <laughs> Um, but um, we we quit. It doesn't stay there long though, because we we go to a a rare quieter scene in Red Dwarf between um, Lister and Kachansky. And to be honest, so these don't happen very often in this show, where two characters just sort of they're in a space where no one else, is, and they just have a scene like a more traditional dramatic. We've we've seen a few glimpses. We've had a few with Lister and Rimmer in the past, um, or with two of the other characters, but. I actually quite like this scene. I, I've said to Phil before, even though I know Red Dwarf primarily is a comedy, uh, that is its like main selling point, that's its function, I do like it when it goes for like more 
traditionally, I guess, dramatic elements as well. Like when they just have the odd scene where yeah. we're not really going to play it for jokes. We're just going to talk about. I really like this scene. I don't know what you two thought. I thought this was quite a nice little scene. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I think in contrast to the scene where they were trying to show her to look like or at least how it seemed like it felt like they'd written in something to make her seem more subservient to Crichton and having that that it thing the relationship they've obviously designed with Lister because they've obviously had history within the show mm. now that I know that that does make sense that they are able to have this one-to-one and for her to be like well I'll take care of our baby which I thought was really nice I thought there was yeah. like a that that did sound like something she would do because we know she's competent. It's like, no, I'll take care of it. Like, I want a kid and I want to take care of it. Which does sound, again, a more competent version of... Whether wrote that scene, definitely more competent. (laughs) 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 You know, like... It's like, yep, we've we've, we've gone down the good route. And actually, I loved how uh, Lister talked about the fact that he felt like he was always drifting. Because I have no concept of what his life was like. Because I've never watched it before. But I assumed he was a bit of a a scatterbox that he you know because i the, the yeah. sci-fi shows i have watched tend to have a leading character just kind of losing their way like if it's doctor who or if it's firefly it's them just kind of getting on with stuff so it does kind of make sense that that's what Lister's like as well not that i knew what his background was before this mm. so him being like oh i feel like you know i've always been drifting because of this fact that i was left in a box under a and you're I'm like oh okay cool <laughs> right <laughs> i think pretty much right like lister has always been portrayed as sort of that well said like a slob but in the sense of he just sort of rolls through life you know he hasn't really got a grand plan as such he just sort of Gets i guess muddle muddles yeah, through like yeah. as a teenager he wanted to he had a band and he was gonna make it big <laughs> as a band in a as a band member and things uh yeah yeah he's got that kind of personality i really like this scene as well because it, it did like you say it did feel like it slowed down a little bit and and really felt like a genuine moment between the two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it leads up to them almost kissing. Um, <laughs> and that also felt genuine. It didn't feel mm. like she was just doing it because she felt she had to. It felt like they'd had a connection in that moment mm. and would would generally kiss it there. And then, of course, it's good. It's brilliantly undercut by then Crichton just like literally Ugh. literally getting in between them with his duster and getting in the way of the kiss I could almost imagine him like I know we don't see it but I imagine him like standing at the door <laughs> out of shot like watching and then just like running in but yeah bringing it back to the comedy they they often do that with the quieter moments they'll have the quieter moment and it's like right now it is a joke right we're back we're back we're back and I think in a show like this you've got to really yeah well yeah, yeah no, I mean they course. do it with um I don't know if you guys have ever really watched Only Falls and Horses but some of my favorite scenes and only fools and horses have been really deep dramatic scenes that are then completely undercut by something tremendously funny and you're close to tears one moment and then you are you are crying with laughter because yes. you're emotionally broken and now you're laughing because that scene was so intense and then something really funny happens like i think the best comedies are able to do both so it was really nice to have that slow scene i was i was genuinely impressed i was like i was not expecting that kind of scene in this because obviously you know we began with him getting wood 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 glue uh sticking yes. to his teeth and floss <laughs> and i was not expecting are, so. such a sweet scene between them so yeah it's cool yeah 
No, good scene, and you know he hands over the his side, if you like, and sends says right off you go then back to your uh, your parallel dimension. But then they come across this box that they've left, which uh, turns out to read Aurora Boris. <laughs> In my head, I was like, it's one syllable, you're not Aroboros. Aroboros batteries. Um, and obviously Lister stops and he's like, wait a minute. So it's not <laughs> the very scouse Arobora. Aroboros. <laughs> I love that at the start, by the way, when they said that. I was like, yes. I was like, because they can't decide on the name, it's is it Roboros. Aroboros? <laughs> Because I know, so you know, some parts of the UK say "our" to refer to like you know ki- their kids and stuff, but never in my life. So it happens a bit here in South Yorkshire, but never in my life have I heard it more when I lived in Liverpool. You know, you'd be, oh our kids, our so and so, like even at, you know at work they'd be like, oh hello, our Adam, and I'm like, I'm not your child, but okay, let's <laughs> just roll with it. So when they said, oh our Boros, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Love a bit of authentic Scouse, um, but no, it's a it's a battery company. And then Lister deduces in this split second that he is in fact his own father. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> very very timey wimey, which I love. Uh, but the yeah. implications, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that basically I was happy, but then I kind of went, wait, what? Yeah, it's the brief like ah, oh, and then you go. Because as he points out, it means Kachansky is both his ex-girlfriend, who obviously he slept with, and his (laughs) mum. Yeah, and then it doesn't make it makes it worse when he's chasing after in the tunnel and goes, Mum! Yeah. It definitely puts a whole new twist on the Oedipus complex. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, just, you know, timely in typical red, red dwarf plot convenience. So just as they're about to solve it, the girls are back and they decide to destroy the tunnel once again. Um, and Kachansky falls and, th- well, this time just falls, seemingly. Um, just falls and falls into, and into falls, no space. And falls and falls and falls. And falls. I um, love that phone call so much. This is so <laughs> funny. It's like, there's, there's an obscene phone call here, sir. Um yes, yes I'll, I'll stay i'll stay yeah. if uh if you save me that's the proviso that's okay the, you know if you get me from i'm calling space. you i'm still falling please help help and then he shoots her with the grappling gun type thing and that's when she does the obscene phone call because she's like oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, what i didn't get about this scene though is that why only they could save her and not the other crew is it implied that they didn't have the equipment? Well, I suppose it? they had got that, but they didn't know what they were looking for when they went back to get equipment. They didn't, like, they just were looking through boxes and came across it and were like, oh, yeah, this will do. So I didn't quite get why her own crew it's, couldn't be the ones it's, to save it's her. Red, it's Red Dwarf. Other film. than plot it's convenience it's and red, the need to get red. her as a regular cast member. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, the, uh, I agree with you, though, Sophie. The phone call aspect was brilliant as she's yeah. just falling into into nothingness. Um, but, of course, they get her back up and she's on their side, seemingly now stuck with uh, our boys from the dwarf. But the episode doesn't finish there, which surprised me because, no, you know, that feels like quite a, a round off for an episode, like a cliffhanger moment. Although I will say when they patch her up in the med bay uh, and Crichton obviously comes to have another beef with her, the shot, you know, when she, like, walks out and Crichton's got her back to her, he looks really evil, you know, and he's, like, happy to have you aboard. And then he's just sort of got that smile. He's sort of looking up sort of towards the camera. I was like, whoa, like, what? what? 
that's well, that's because he's he's she's got her the pants showing and yes, yeah. he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you, ha ha ha, so yeah, that you have to go in, emba- so you'll go and get embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't read it like that. I read it that she had a different walk. Oh, oh okay, okay, yeah. That's so I read it like he was taking the mick out of her walk. Because I don't think a mechanoid would care if you're butt showing. <laughs> well, I think he knows that it would embarrass her, and oh, okay. that's that, why that would make he's sense. like, because huh. he—it's almost like he's about to tell her so that she can she can fix it, and then he's like, and he like you can see it on his face. He decides, no, it'd be funny if I just let her do it. <laughs> Probably like Mister Evil, sort of like. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I was sorry. Go on, go on. I was gonna say for me, I thought it was to do with the walk because she was obviously walking funny, and obviously there had been this whole thing about how she walks and how he walks. So I thought it. I in my head, I for some reason I didn't really think about the fact that she's gonna have her butt hanging out. I don't think she'd really care about that. I thought, <laughs> my brain was just like, <laughs> oh, he's laughing because her walk is now different. Ha ha ha! Isn't that funny? Because he's a weird mechanoid. <laughs> You'd find that particularly amusing. I don't know. That was what I said. Mine was way more than I. I got a full like Norman Bates psycho vibe. That he just <laughs> it, like he was plotting some. He just thought of some like really evil scheme that we're gonna see in the next episode. And he's like, I'm not gonna tell you, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna pull a creepy smile and look. So it, that's weird how we all got like a different vibe from just a look, basically. Yeah. Let <laughs> us know in the comments below what you thought was going on in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, but as, as mentioned, that isn't the ending. Um, we're back in the in the Egbeth Arms, uh, eighteen months later. It says where. Lister, and it is, it's our Lister, yeah, our Lister, because it's not the one with the H on his head, our, seemingly our Lister, uh, brings himself uh, <laughs> to the to the massive paradox, you know, Doctor Who brains going, massive paradox, um, but he puts himself under the pool table, which he says creates the paradox, and says, means the human race will never end, because he will always exist. So that's the human race in an infinite loop question. I, I wrote in my notes, I was trying to like write along what was happening. I was like, right, so he's taking back to the pub. <laughs> I just wrote what the hell is happening. <laughs> like, What's going on? Yeah, um, well, I yeah, suppose what... by making sure he exists, that's ensuring the human race exists because then he's there to get put in stasis and carry on the human race potentially. Yeah. But he's what... not a paradox though. No. Because he says he creates. No. Well, he is. A... He, he's a bootstrap paradox, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. He's the bootstrap paradox. But where where does that. Yeah. I think it's just because they, they tried to tell it all, us all to us in the last 30 seconds. I was like, whoa, wait, hang on. Like, what? what is what is this? And Red Dwarf has done this before. I think we've said where, like, they'll try and often for sake of time, because obviously they've only got, like, 25 minutes, but they'll they'll explore these, like, scientific or like the the one that i always remember is one about wormholes they encounter a worm you know about the whole time is different if you're in the wormhole to when you're out of it or whatever it is you know time passes differently and they explain it in about literally in about 30 seconds and you know like us if you if you're aware of sci-fi and like work you might be like oh yeah i get the idea but i think if i'd shown that like to my mum like she would have been like wait what 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 does that mean so yeah, yeah I think what we need just here a lot of is Peter Capaldi to pop up and explain bootstrap paradoxes <laughs> to us. Ba 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 ba. guitar, yeah, yeah. Hey, actually, Beethoven. <laughs> Peter Capaldi just—he just walks in the Egbeth arms with his guitar. And says, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> 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 I'm here to tell you. That's a, that's a whole other story. But um, 
And then the credits roll, just like before my brain had even like comprehended all of this. It's like, all oh, right, there's the theme music. And um, just before final thoughts, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the baby was credited to Alexander John Jules, who yes. I believe is uh, Danny's son. No, nephew. No, nephew. Oh, right. Okay. There uh, you go. Well, uh, according to IMDb, anyway, it's his nephew, um, because apparently when he uh, when a baby was originally cast for it it was danny don jules that pointed out that the uh, his the baby's skin tone didn't match craig charles's and he suggested that his own nephew might oh. might be a better fit for it um and that is how his nephew got cast apparently according to the imdb trivia section there you go Small little world. But um, before we do our, our summary and favourite characters and all that, um, just, Sophie, what did you think of this of this ending scene then? Did you think, were you happy with how this episode wrapped up? I think it was sweet. I mean, bear in mind, I don't have any concept of what previous endings have been like. Mm. You know, it did, it did complete the story. We're back in the same place at the beginning of the episode as we were at the end. Um, so it does also do its own loop that we are back in the pub again at the big at yes. the beginning as it was in the end or a brush um, <laughs> <laughs> um but no i think it was good i think what he was saying to the kid was sweet i i did have a moment where i was like wait paradox what my my brain again i think he, if he'd said this had to happen this has to happen in a much more concise way yeah um i think it would have made that that whole speech a little bit easier to digest but otherwise it's like you know you're gonna be great kid or whatever it was that he was saying was really sweet um so i was like that's nice it's still weird that it's you and it's still <laughs> i st- i still was just like the sec even the second time watching it i went yeah it's still weird mate it's still, St- still a such an odd. odd concept yeah. but you know for a sci-fi comedy i'm not expecting it to be highbrow so sure. you know, and it was fun. Um, yeah, there so you go. it was a good and, ending. And and then Phil, um, considering through the last seven series, we've you know every now and then basically they've they've mentioned about Lister's origins, how you know oh his parents abandoned mm. him in a box under the pool table. You know this has been the frequent explanation. So after seven series, then and now seemingly we have our answer. Um, do, as someone who's watched Red Dwarf for years, what are you? Do you like this? resolve if yeah because like, or... it was kind of a, just a it was kind of this throwaway line before that they kind of put in there to kind of explain lister and uh <laughs> and why he partly why he is the way he is you know i was abandoned as a kid and all that um which you know hadn't left me wanting an explanation but i like the explanation we got it was very sci-fi it's very timey-wimey it's a little bit weird um but yeah i like it i like it and and just as a little hint it's not going to be the last time it's referenced oh right okay you obviously haven't seen past this adam but it's it will be referenced at some point in the future (laughs) phil has said this to me sophie numerous times throughout this part oh this will be mentioned again i can't tell you when but just make make a note of it you remember this remember this but um, that, folks, is Series 7, Episode 3, Ouroboros. Um We've just discussed it in depth there. So we'll move on to our regular segments of the show, the first of which is our favourite character. So, Sophie, who was your favourite character from this episode? It could be one of the mains. It could be someone who appeared for 30 seconds, who, whoever you'd like. I did like Triton a hell of a lot, I think. <laughs> I liked the C-3PO vibe. 
Um, I'm I'm a sucker for a mech, uh, like a a mechanoid esque android esque droid. I I do love them. Um, so yeah, so I loved him. I did like what I saw of Rimmer, but obviously it was a flashback Rimmer, and I don't really yes. understand the context of what current day Rimmer would be like because I didn't get to see him. But I did like how he like the kind of broship that I saw between him and Lister was quite entertaining, and I was like, I'd have liked to have seen more of that as someone yeah. who hasn't seen the rest of the show. So I was like, ah, so I liked Crichton and I like Rimmer. Yeah, the, um, that so. that kind of relationship between the two of them. I mean, the very early seasons, that's pretty much all the show was on. They didn't even go off the ship for the first, like, two years, really. They just kind of, it was basically them dealing with being alone together on a spaceship and with the cat occasionally popping up and a computer also chipping in occasionally but mostly it was about their relationship for the first two years hit rimmer and uh lister so i mean definitely i mean i was going to ask you having seen this episode are you tempted to go and watch more i think i might i think I might watch <laughs> some more. we've got a new um, convert I, yeah nice. i think i think i might go watch some more i think the only other thing i'll say in terms of characters is um kachansky is in my good books for not killing the cat the alternative Kachansky. Because uh, I was like, oh, you yeah. can't put the cat in a microwave. I, mean, I assumed, yeah. obviously, it wasn't a microwave. It was something else. And my brain just went, don't kill the cat. And she was like, I can't kill it. And I was like, yeah, okay, you're, you've got some points. Uh, and so points. I, did, I did like her. She did make me laugh. I think she was a, considering the time, I think she was quite a fun character and put the boys in their places for the most part in most of the scenes she was in. So I thought that was quite fun. Um, but yeah, yes. my my favourites because I'm a sucker for <laughs> sucker for droids <laughs> and I'm a sucker for underdog characters, which I think Rimmer does come across as a bit of an underdog to me. Uh, he yeah, I I love characters like that, so I like uh, I like watching characters get bullied on on TV shows, obviously. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I liked them quite a well, bit. Well, there you go. Point one to to Crichton. What about you, Phil? Uh, Crichton. Uh, well, yeah, Crichton was very close. I would have. I I mean. In any other episode, that probably probably would have got it, but I've, I feel I've got to give it to Lister this episode. Um, again, we're getting quite a lot of good stuff from Lister this this season. I think um, it seems to be the season where he gets a lot of development because for he he got quite a lot during the first series and mm. the second series, but then the middle part a lot. I I don't think we picked him as our favorite character at all no. from like series three to maybe five or six, even six possibly, and. He seems to be getting quite... I think I might have picked him last week. I can't remember now. But, it, yeah, here he's got some lovely character development mo- moments and uh, it seem, it feels like it's his episode as well. Fair enough. Well, I've I've got to go with Sophie. I'm going to give it to Crichton. Um, just Robert Llewellyn's just great, man. Like, they all are, but I, I just... I find myself continuously, like, as an actor myself, like, just in awe of him as a performer, like, his, the, the physicality he embodies, the, the vocal, just he, you know, it's what you'd want a, you know, a good actor to be, especially in a role like that, where I think mechanoids can be very, people don't sometimes go for it as much as they could, and he, he just does, so, yeah, gotta be Crichton for me. Um, the funniest moment is the other main segment we do, so we'll start with you again, Sophie. Now, this can be, this could be a whole scene, this could be a one line that you found hilarious but what was the what was the funniest moment for you it, this episode it's absolutely the scene where he sat on the bed being like i've seen her <laughs> naked in the shower and uh, i you're gonna want her more than me and uh if i was folding sheets uh that whole that whole segment is so funny um yeah. 
just because I had no context as well of what their previous relationship was like. And it was quite refreshing to see, um, technically, uh, a man feeling jealous of a woman. Uh, you know, like it was like really. <laughs> yes. You yeah. know, technically speaking, it was quite refreshing to see that on, uh, you know, a sci-fi sitcom. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was quite cool. I, and also, it was very well played out and very funny, uh, very well written. So I really enjoyed it. Good, wonderful, great choice, Phil. Your funniest moment. I'm going for a single line. It's the missus. It's back on our tail. What is it? Some Gelf battle cruiser. They've sent a scan, sir. Take a look. Oh my God! It's the missus. Very good. Very, very good choice. Um, I'm. Once again, I'm going to have to go with you, Sophie. That whole scene of Crichton just, like, melting down and in his own jealousy or whatever it is. Just, as mentioned, perfect sitcom parables, like, amped up to 11. Brilliant acting from both involved. Uh, you got the you got Crichton on one extreme, Lister trying to play it cool and act like, oh, yeah, of course I'd fold sheets. Just one of my favourite moments of this series so far, I'd say, of Series 7. Really stand out. And lastly, we rate each episode out of 10 scutters. So scutters, I don't know if you've seen, so it's like the little robots with like grabber hands. Um, that's that's the scutters. We haven't seen them in ages, of course, since we haven't been on Red Dwarf. But how many scutters out of 10 would you rate this episode? I think, bear in mind, I've not seen anything. The I found the ending a little bit confusing with like how they were describing the paradox. And I was a little bit unhappy with some of the mixed bits and pieces with Kachansky, I would probably give it a seven or an eight. Nice. Because I really enjoyed it. It made me want to watch more. I found everyone entertaining and the cast really fun. And I love the model shots and even the CGI, as I said, I'm all for shoddy CGI as long as I understand (laughs) what it's trying to do. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it made me want to know more about the series. So it has to score high. So (laughs) yeah, so I I think I'll give it a seven just because... The, the three problems I did have were kind of like uh, yeah. moments. <laughs> the laughter no, track sure. o- over the forced kiss and the yeah, yeah. seemingly kind of very masculine gaze on Chikansky, um in terms of writing was a bit iffy. And mm. the weird paradox moment where I didn't understand what the hell they meant. Other than that, <laughs> really enjoyed the episode. Well, yeah, seven, seven out of ten for your first go around is pretty good if you ask me. Um, Phil, what about you? I'm going to give it seven out of ten as well. Um, I it, it's a solid episode. I think it was um, a a good attempt at introducing a, a new regular character. I did miss Rimmer though. Um, although we got yeah. to see him, it, we, actually that's a nice that's a good positive that even though he'd left, there it was just nice to have this reminder of him. This just this one little scene, um, and yeah. I think that came about if I'm remembering correctly because he they'd actually originally contracted him for four episodes in the series and oh, right. uh and then they decided to get him to leave a bit earlier so that they could have more episodes with kachansky in and in- give more space to develop her character so they kind of had had him that they could use him so they decided to a little bit extra um so so that was good um yeah there was some of the i i enjoyed kachansky i'm looking forward to seeing her some more um, and see, I'm reminding myself how she develops because it's been a while since I've seen this series. But I, I think there's definitely some. I'm hoping she does more of the pushing back against the rest of the crew that she did a little bit in this episode, but maybe not enough. I'm not sure. But yeah, That's overall, a, a good episode. 
Sound. Well, uh, I'm going to make this a hat trick, give it 7 out of 10 as well. Just, uh, yeah, like solid enough that um, the comedy moments that worked really did work, as we've mentioned. Um, the the more like quieter stuff like that scene Kachansky and Lister had uh, before she departs was re- one of the better, I think, quieter moments Red Dwarf has had. Um, some good effects work as well. Just, yeah, some iffy bits here and there that we've talked about in terms of like how Kachansky's been portrayed or written or some like odd comments in the episode as well um yeah and uh, similar to you phil i just hope as we go on she she isn't to put it bluntly she's not just there for like eye candy because that would be a great shame if if that i'd, I'd like to think it's not i'd like to think that the writers are clever enough that they've brought her back for more than you know for for a proper purpose but yeah, I'd say this one's a seven. There's bits of it I'd remember, but I probably wouldn't remember like the whole episode, if that makes sense. I could point to bits like Crichton's meltdown <laughs> probably being the key one. But yeah, sevens all round. Look at that hat trick. We like it. We like it. Well, that's the episode. And obviously next time we'll be talking about episode four. But before we go, uh, Sophie, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. You've been a fabulous guest reviewer with us. Um, where can the folks out there listening find you and your work? Uh, so you can find me mostly on Twitter. It's probably the safest place to send you to. Uh, all my other bits are there. Um, so it's uh, Soph Isles Tweets. So S-O-P-H-I-L-E-S Tweets uh, on Twitter. And you can find any of my doodles or any news about my writing or anything about that at all. Um, or just me talking about things I'm watching, like Squid Game or Downton Abbey or whatever. Actually, merging those two things together sounds like a really good story as it is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, whatever I be watching, whatever I'm doing, uh, you'll be able to find it all on Twitter. And uh, you can come poke me there. And uh, maybe I'll get around to watching more, more Red Dwarf. And so, yeah. There you go. That's exciting. Oh, we got another one, Phil. Hey. <laughs> doing free promotion for him here um phil what about you where can the listeners find you uh well either on my youtube channel which you may be listening to this on but if you're not it's just my name philip hawkins um pictures like me in front of some tardis roundels um so easy to find uh despite the fact there are other philip hawkins hawkinses on um on youtube hawkeye, hawkeye yes <laughs> multiple philip hawkeye <laughs> uh but i am the one in front of that and basically if you go on it i talk about doctor who a lot i talk about the mcu obviously this podcast goes up there basically it's any geeky pop culture that i enjoy uh i'll talk about on there and on twitter you can find me it's i-u-d-e-x underscore phil phil with one l there you go and just uh, our, our podcast this podcast does have its own twitter account which is at all dead dave pod you can go and give us a follow there for updates on the show announcements of guest reviewers uh, the occasional red dwarf meme and post as well so go and give us a follow and um, if you want to check out any of my stuff just adam martin with a y not with an i on on youtube and also on twitter adam martin amtv for daily ramblings and such like so yeah that's us well that's another episode done and just once again sophie thank you so much for joining us you've been brilliant thank you i really enjoyed it thank you for having me no problem and as usual listeners me and phil we'll catch you next time see you later Bye bye